This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and I pray that you would speak to us afresh by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. Amen. There have been two occasions in my life when I have had to swear allegiance to the Queen. The first was on becoming a barrister. In England, a lawyer's first duty is not to his or her client, but to the crown. The second time was when I was ordained in the Church of England. And it may seem rather quaint, uh, particularly as the Queen has little real power and is largely a ceremonial figurehead, although a very long-tenured one, I have to say. And yet, in each case, that oath of allegiance served as a powerful symbol that I was under authority, I was accountable to someone, and that I was being commissioned for a special task. I'm sure most of us have experienced times when we have felt especially conscious of making serious commitments or taking on special responsibilities, perhaps at graduation or your wedding day or some other time of commitment. But all of us who have turned to Christ for forgiveness and have committed our lives to him, as Christ followers, we are under authority. We are accountable to someone, and we have been commissioned for service. In our reading today from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he says that if we are Christians, then we are ambassadors for Christ, and that God has entrusted us with a special task, the, the message and the ministry of reconciliation. And so this morning, I want to address three questions. First, what is an ambassador? Second, what is our job as an ambassador for Christ? And third, what can we as ambassadors do when the going gets tough? So first, what is an ambassador? Well, according to the dictionary, an ambassador is a diplomat official of the highest rank, appointed as a representative by one government to another. And I think there are some parallels here for us who are appointed to be ambassadors for Christ. As Christians, the Bible teaches we are Christ's body here on earth. You can't get much more representative than that. I don't suppose we always think of ourselves as ambassadors. After all, I doubt anyone here routinely attends state banquets or negotiates peace treaties. And yet, we do have dinner with people, and we can talk to people who are hurting, and we can share with them the love of God, which is really the ultimate peace treaty. The places where we are ambassadors, where we represent Christ to others, is in our families. It's among our work colleagues. It's in the academy. It's in our very neighborhoods. 
But unlike the appointment of a secular diplomat, our appointment as ambassadors for Christ is not just for a season. It's not a reward for faithful service. It's not subject to the approval of any house committees. Indeed, the way we become an ambassador for Christ involves something much more fundamental than that. St. Paul writes, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. One thing that perhaps illustrates this well for us is baptism. Baptism is the sign and seal of entry into God's family, into his, the church. It's an outward sign of God's grace working within us. It's the mark of our belonging. It's the seal of office. And the imagery in baptism with all that water is not just being made clean, but it's the imagery of new creation. The most powerful symbol in the waters of baptism, particularly when we baptize by immersion, as we sometimes do, and we did just recently outside, is the picture of drowning. It's the picture of dying to oneself and being raised to new life, new creation with Christ. It is also our commissioning as ambassadors. So we've talked about what is an ambassador. Secondly, what's our job as ambassadors for Christ? If you were the U.S. ambassador to, say, Canada, you couldn't just behave in any way that you like. You couldn't just decide uh, to pop out to the store and do whatever you please. There would be all kinds of constraints upon you and conventions and rules and security details or whatever goes into this kind of thing. As a representative of the United States you would also have to make sure that what you said and what you did brought credit to the nation, our nation, the USA. And if incidents arose in Canada where you were the ambassador, one of your jobs would be to be a peacemaker and a reconciler. St. Paul tells us that likewise, Christians cannot live and act in any way that they please. He says that no longer should we live for ourselves, but for Jesus, who died for us and was raised for us. The difference, however, for, for us who are ambassadors for Christ is not that we are constrained primarily by rules and regulations and conventions. Rather, we are empowered by the love of God. Our job as ambassadors of Christ is to bring God's love and reconciliation to others. We are messengers of God's saving grace. The past 18 months have been like no other. And they have surely taken a toll on many people. There is sickness, long COVID, and death. There's economic stress and uncertainty. There's unemployment or underemployment. For many people, whether or not they have experienced some of the more obvious effects of the pandemic, recent months have been a season of unprecedented separation, fracturing and breaking of relationships. Work colleagues, family members, church family members, have experienced profound disagreements about the proper response to the pandemic in the face of social and racial upheaval and in the face of extreme political polarization. I wonder, 
when in the past we've even seen such polarization. In Europe, I suspect it was in the 1930s, with the rise of um, fascism on the right and communism on the left. I'm not saying that's what we're experiencing here, but it is pretty extreme. The extremes on the left and the right are dangerous and antithetical to the way of Jesus. And I'm unashamed to say that from this pulpit. I think we have to hear this and wrestle with this. From cancel culture and unrelenting deconstructionism on the one hand, to corrosive conspiracy theories and dangerous nationalism on the other. At the extremes, both left and right promote hatred, incite violence, and dehumanize other people. Brothers and sisters, as ambassadors for Christ, our allegiance, our accountability, our authority must never, ever, ever first be to any political party or secular ideology. It must not. Our loyalty and our first responsibility must always, first and foremost, be to God. He is our King. He is our Lord. And He is our Savior. He and He alone commands our obedience. And let me say this, that kind of loyalty to God is a highly countercultural and a very political position. Rightly so. It was 2,000 years ago. It is today. As we make our stand as loyal subjects to Jesus, our mission, our calling, our task is reconciliation. A word we need to have on our lips and in our hearts as we cry out to God in lament for what is happening in our nation and in our world. And the work of reconciliation to which we are called is the work for which we need equipping and empowering through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. As ambassadors for Christ, you and I have been charged and entrusted with this ministry of reconciliation. And as ambassadors, we enjoy certain privileges and responsibilities. What a wonderful privilege to know that God has made his home with us, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And what a great responsibility to be an ambassador for Christ. What is it then that should drive us as ambassadors for Christ. Paul writes in verse 14, the love of Christ urges us on because we are convinced that one died for all. Well, we've looked at the question, what is an ambassador? Secondly, we've considered the work of an ambassador. Thirdly, what are we to do as ambassadors when the going gets tough? Being an ambassador is a great honor. But it does not mean a life of privilege and luxury alone. The first ambassadors for Christ, the disciples, knew all about facing difficulties. And our gospel reading this morning presents but one example. 
we encounter the disciples going across Lake Galilee to spread the good news of Jesus to others. They are faithfully following Jesus. And yet, they find themselves caught up in a ferocious storm. Some of those in the boat with Jesus were experienced fishermen, men who knew the lake and knew its storms. One commentator writes, contrary to publicly held views on the matter, it is usually the experts who recognize the need to panic. I wonder, was it perhaps even harder for them that Jesus, a carpenter by trade, seemed completely oblivious to the danger? Well, whatever may have been going through their minds, they approach Jesus. Or should I say, reproach Jesus. Why are you sleeping? Don't you care? Do something. Jesus answers them. Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Why? Do you have no faith? Commentator Donald English writes, the crux of discipleship is located here. They needed him to do something. He wanted them to trust him. When the storms of life come upon us, as of course they do, pandemics, burnout, depression, divorce, failure, exhaustion, opposition, illness, bereavement, whatever it may be, surely the lesson from the boat is that Jesus is enough. It is enough that Christ is with us on our journeys. As we are sent out, as we work and pray and do life together, we should never judge God's care for us by the severity of the storms in which we may find ourselves. Our hope is in the Lord, not our circumstances. In that raging physical storm on the water, Jesus speaks to the sea, peace, be still. And then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm why are you afraid, he said to them. Have you still no faith? I'd have been absolutely terrified. I mean, they were scared enough with the storm. Imagine this dead calm when Jesus wakes up to say three words. Who is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. Jesus, the Lord of the universe, can speak to a storm. He could speak to us like that too. He could command us to be still. He could force us to follow him. He could make us do whatever he wanted to do. And yet the amazing and the wonderful thing, however, is that the way of God in Christ is that he compels us, not by edict, not by force, but by love. 
For Christ's love urges us on, because he died for all, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died and was raised for them. The Lord of all reaches our hearts, not with commands, but by the means of his own death for us on a cross. And this is not to say that God's love is not costly and demanding, far from it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And now God has entrusted you and me as his ambassadors for Christ. He's entrusted to us this most important message of reconciliation, a message that the world is desperate to hear, whether they know it or not. Now, of course, unless and until we have been reconciled to God, we cannot be Christ's ambassadors to others. So how? How can we be reconciled to God? Paul speaks of God reconciling us through Christ, not counting our trespasses against us. And the image here is one of debt. Think of a credit card bill that is out of control. Imagine having so many bills, so much debt with so much interest that you simply cannot meet the minimum monthly payments. In that scenario, it cannot go on like that. It will come crashing down. But the point here is, when we think not in terms of money, but in terms of our standing before God, on account not of our spending, but on account of our sinfulness and our selfishness, then we are all bankrupt. If I had debts in the trillion or billions or millions of dollars, it really wouldn't make much difference. I'd still go bankrupt. There would be absolutely nothing I could do to pay off that kind of debt. I can't just work harder and get another job or something. Likewise, whether you are a no notorious murderer or an ordinary law-abiding citizen, whether you've committed obvious sins or you've just been quietly selfish, there's nothing we can do on our own account to put ourselves right with God. The good news, however, is that our accounts with God can be reconciled. Jesus paid the price. Verse 19, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. This, then, is the message of hope that as ambassadors we have. This is the message we are to share with our friends and our neighbors. The ambassadors of nations may be called upon to seek reconciliation between warring parties on an international stage. We, as ambassadors for Christ, are called upon to share the good news of God's reconciling love in the context of our lives, in the context of the deep divisions that exist in our nation, in our workplaces, in our churches, and in our families. What an extraordinary and wonderful privilege it is to be an ambassador for Christ. Each one of us who has been baptized, each one of us who would claim Jesus as Lord, 
is an ambassador for Christ. May our lives not bring dishonor to the name of the one whom we serve and represent, but may we, with God's help, be reconcilers in our homes. That can be a very challenging place to be a reconciler. In our neighborhoods, with people we don't agree with, in what and how we post on social media, as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, who came to reconcile the world to God. Amen.